right. Well, we're going to get into that in just a moment. Let me take a second and reiterate. Kids Costume Sunday is this cool Sunday where we stop what we're doing and we just party. Uh, there is a regular service, but right after it, there's free tacos. There's candy stations for kids so you can walk around and get more candy that you got to throw away later. And you go out there and, and there's games. It's just a blast. And again, I just want to reiterate, we do that for two reasons. Number one, we do it because we believe every kid should look back at growing up in church and go, that was awesome. And that's the kind of Sunday that builds those memories in their hearts and souls. And we also do this because we believe we have a call from Jesus to reach the world around us with his light and life. And these Sundays make it really easy for you to bring friends, bring people. That's what these are on your seats. These are invite cards. And I promise before this Sunday gets here, I'll tell you a story about my daughter in these that makes you want to cry. But in the meantime, think about somebody that you could bring with you. You just go, hey. I think you'd like this. You guys should come. I'll sit with you. And that's as simple as it is. No pressure. You just wait for the right opportunity. You keep these with you so they're there for you. Um, okay, let's address the elephant in the room. Everybody's like, is he going to mention this? Or what is? Um, <clears throat> why are we doing a series called Love, Sex, Phones, and Jesus? That's simple. If we were going to call it Fifty Shades of Grace, people might get confused by that. And so we figured we'll just lay all of our cards on the table, and, and I want to tell you the quick story behind it. We did this write-in series where you could anonymously write in things that were going on in life and places you need help or where you're not okay, and there was this overwhelming response, and people said, I need help in marriage, in love, in sex, in sexuality, in dating, in, in, in all these things, and there was no way we could do one message on it, so we said we need to do a series on it. These cards, I want you to participate. Again, these cards are in your bulletins, and these are write-ins. These are anonymous write-ins where as you're journeying through this five-week series, week six is a Q&A, where if there's anything that you're like, hey, you didn't talk about this or speak to that or, well, you said this, but what about that? Well, this is your opportunity. You can write in. There's a box on your way out. Drop these off anonymously. And by the end of the series, we just want to make sure we speak to the things that are actually going on in your life. Finally, if you're worried about me up here during this series going, Matt, is this going to be awkward? How are you going to do this? The answer is no. Here's why. I did one other sex talk at Momentum. I mean, sermon about sex and, and all that stuff. And I misplanned it like completely because it was at the end of the series and there was one week where we we're going to do the what's the Bible say about sex thing. And I forgot that weekend that my parents were going to be in town and they sat right there in those two seats. And I did the whole thing with my parents. The whole series. You ever like, you remember growing up and you're watching a movie with your folks and a steamy love scene comes on and everyone just feels awkward and you like look down and you're like, what do I do? The whole message felt like that. So this is going to be nothing, you guys. This is easy day, walk in the park. And we're going to dive into God's word. And that's my hope. I want God to speak to us and speak life into us through his word. So I'm going to pray uh, one big old prayer for this whole time together in series, and then we'll dive in, okay? Let's go. Uh, God and Father, I want you to move and speak to us personally. Where there is hurt, would you bring healing? Where there's pain, would you raise people to life? Where there's fear, would you bring love and courage? Would you speak to us personally um, during this series? Not my words, God, yours, your Holy Spirit, filling us and guiding us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I brought up men's health. I, I got into men's health 
magazine at the age of 12, I could remember my buddies and I, there was a Barnes and Noble a couple miles down the road from us and we would ride our bikes to Barnes and Noble because it was better than hanging out at the, the grocery store that was right near there. And I remember going to the Barnes and Noble and I'm walking through the magazine section because I'm certainly not going to read books and I come across my first ever men's health magazine. And I go, dude, this guy, I got TB12 on the front of this one. And I'm like, I don't remember. There's some male fitness model in the one that I saw. And I go, that guy looks shredded, man. He's jacked. If there's information in the men's health how to look like that guy, I'm in. And so I sat down to my first uh, men's health magazine at the little cafe that was attached to the Barnes & Noble. And I remember flipping through the pages. And I look, and there's this article in the big magazine print says, Drive her wild. And I was like, hello. Finally, some literature to enrich my young mind. And, and I flipped through the article about driving her wild. And then I learned there's some good stuff in here. And then I flipped and there was the girl next door and people write her these racy questions about the problems in the bedroom and she talks about them. And I was like, tell me more girl next door. And I dove into the different articles, and month after month, I was like, y'all ready for another Barnes & Noble run? Everybody was like, yep. And we would go grab the men's health and break down the articles and the techniques and the positions and the things. And, and then it was back in the day, and I realized, I realized something. What used to fall out of magazines when you'd open them up? There'd be 100 cards that would remember that, and, and you could subscribe. And around 14, my grandmother got me a checking account, and I realized I have my own checks. I know my address. I put the check in the thing for $14. They're going to send this stuff to my home. And, and I jumped to men's fitness at that time because there were far more girls in the men's fitness. And, and, and so men's fitness starts showing up at my door, and it was all fun and games until a men's fitness is sitting on my bed when I get home, and I go to my usual articles, and my mom had gotten it and put Sharpie marker clothes on all the girls and, and torn out all the pages about the techniques and the different things. And, and, and if you're blushing right now, trust me, it's going to get way worse. So... Um, and I'm like, oh, come on. And so we started this race to the mailbox and, and who could get there first. And, and so flash forward 10 years go by. I'm 23 and I get married and I have a girl. And for 10 years I've been studying. 10 years I've been learning my tips and tricks and techniques and positions. And, and now I've got a girl, a real life girl that I'm married to. And there's no shame or guilt hanging over the thing. And I've got a honeymoon. And we are going to rock that cruise ship down the Pacific. And I got there with all my tips and my tricks and my positions. And I am here to report that none of it worked <laughs> at all. I was so disappointed. I didn't drive her wild. And so I go, okay, back to the drawing board. I pulled out my men's health and I go, oh, I know what it is. All of these guys are shredded. They've got like the eight pack and the riblet muscles up the side and I must need the eight pack. And so I go and I just get to work and I'm like, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to work out and I'm going to do more cunt crunches. And then I'm going to reapproach my bride with this bod and all my techniques. And that's what's been missing. And that didn't work either. And that was the moment I discovered, and maybe you've discovered, that our culture is so full of sex, sexual images, sexual marketing, sexual narratives, tips, advice, practice, positions. All of the stuff is all around us. 
but so little of it, when you come back to real life, is actually helpful. And, and so then I grew and I've learned and I've studied and I've been preparing for the series. And, you know, honestly, culture is full of a bunch of messed up narratives that don't really help. And essentially, culture just says sex is physical, recreational play that creates pleasure between two consensual adults. It's fun. It's play. You can get your app. You can hook up and all this stuff. But you know what? As I study and I go, okay, well, like, come on, church. Maybe you've got something to say to this. And as I dug into the church's narrative about sex and sexuality, it kind of shares the same roots. Church says sex is, it just has the rules. It's like sex is recreational play that creates physical pleasure between two consensual adults who are different genders, married by law, largely used for procreation. Also, don't talk about it too much because you don't want people to think you actually enjoy it. And then like once a decade, maybe there's a book on sex that's helpful and, and, and has stuff in it that you could actually work with and use. And maybe once a year you get a sermon and I've been thinking about this. It's like such a big part of life, and there's so little to be dug into and so little that's actually helpful and that can bring life. And, and so that's what really brings us to this series. What I learned as I discovered, there's the church's view, there's culture's view, but when you really dive in, there's a whole other beautiful narrative and definition and explanation in Scripture. And what we want to do over these five weeks is recover what Scripture actually has to say about sex and sexuality and figure out how it can benefit us today. And so I'm going to just, here we are. This is the beginning. Here's all my cards on the table. This is the proposition I'm going to work out for the next five weeks, and you can decide what you want to do with this. Here's what I believe. When you recover or, or discover a well-developed, unashamed, authentic view of biblical sex and sexuality. You find answers for some of your deepest longings. Substance that helps you live well and flourish in a culture soaked in sex and sexuality. And the sex life you've always longed for. I believe you go, Matt, what are you hoping? What do you think I'm going to get out of this as we journey? Here's what I think. When you recover or discover what the Bible actually explains sex to be and how it's supposed to operate, you find deepest longings fulfilled. You find information and wisdom that helps you live well. And I believe wholeheartedly it leads you to the sex life that you've longed for. That's where we're going, and that's what we're going to do. And so we're going to begin at the beginning, and we're going to go into Genesis in just a second here. I'll paint a picture for you. If you know Genesis, it's the first book in the Bible, and God begins this creation. And, and I find the longer you stare at the pages of Genesis, the more it makes sense of the reality we live in. And so you've got this God beginning with a good creation and light and sky and stars and darkness and mass and matter and an earth, and the earth becomes full of living creatures and beings and populations. And then God forms apart from and different than all of the rest of creation, man kind and he forms this man and breathes life into him and this man is made in the image of God and the man kind of looks around and he goes, God, you can't be telling me we're done right now. I feel like something's missing. So scripture picks up in Genesis 2 verse 20 and it says this, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. 
and he brought her to the man. The man said, now this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That is the first mention of sex in Scripture, just two chapters in. The two become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, I want you to follow along in your note sheet, and we could dive in. There's one blank I want you to fill in as we begin. And this is the beginning place. This is the foundation I want to lay for this series. It's simply this. Sex is blessed and celebrated by God. Sex is blessed and celebrated by God. Not this, now, now, don't do this. No, you have God creating everything in all of creation, okay? He makes the light, earth, stars, wind. He makes mankind, and he makes this, this, as he's creating, have you heard this before? You know, God would pause every now and then in creation and say, and this is good. He would make some more things, and there's this pause where he would say, and this is good. And then he makes this man and this woman, and uniquely, God says, this is very good. Now think on that for a second. God makes this man and this woman, and there they are. They have hormones, desires, body parts that fit together. Some body parts only designed for pleasurable purposes. There they are together with passion, the ability to make love, to climax. Can you say climax in church? Just did, twice now. Keep up. And, and God looks at them and goes, this is very good. God didn't, like, make them and then go off to rest. And he looks back and he's like, oh, what are you guys doing now? No, get off of her. No, that was what he wanted. It was a part of his divine design. And as you read through Scripture, you discover sex is something celebrated and blessed by God. In the Old Testament, there is an erotic love poem. And this whole book of the Bible called Song of Songs is a poem, and it begins with two newlywed lovers about to make love on their wedding night. And listen to the words that go back and forth between them. This guy starts out, and man, I'm telling you, single men, if you want to learn how to spit game, this is your playbook, okay? How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil like doves. Your hair, ooh, this is good, write this down, is like a flock of goats descending the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming, down, or coming up from the washing, and each girl, each has its twin. You know what he just said right there? He's like, you're not missing any teeth. None of them, not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. And not to be outdone, the young, newly-led lover fires back. And I'm going to let you interpret this one yourself. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste of its choice fruits. Now, pause really quick. I want to insert something in here. See, 
maybe you grew up in a church tradition. And, I, and I'm speaking to, to the women in the room right now. Maybe you grew up in a church tradition where you were kind of taught like, now, you know, you know, the men, they always want sex, you know, and they're after sex, and that's that thing, and we lady, you got to just kind of put up with it and make sure his needs are met and all that stuff. And you never really felt like that mold fits on you because, honestly, you're there and you're going, hang on, guys, I, I kind of, I'm into that too. I've got some passions, I've got some desires, and I am ready for Mr. Right so I can unleash those things on him. You just need to know there is space for that in the pages of Scripture. And if you've been sold a narrative that doesn't really fit well on you, that sex is just for those guys and you just kind of have to do it out of obligation, I just want you to know there's space for you in Scripture. And maybe that mold that was placed on you was somebody's cultural moray rather than a scriptural command. And there's room. And on top of that, this is something God would celebrate. Because in the middle of this poem, in Song of Songs, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, you see God singing over this whole occasion saying, eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. It is God over his creation celebrating passionate and erotic love between a man and wife. And here's, here's what I got to tell you. There's really important truth here. You need space in your theology for a God who celebrates erotic and passionate love. Why? Well, you look through history and you see people aren't a, are afraid to address that. Or they want to dance around that. Things get weird in a hurry. This is origin. He was a Church father is what people call him. He came along a few centuries after Paul, and we have some of his writings. And, you know, it's possible that his great-grandfather met Jesus, and so he's a believer, early Christian. But, but he had these sexual desires, and he always viewed them as evil. It's my flesh. It's terrible. I can't have these desires. And so there's early accounts of Origen throwing himself into a thorn bush when he felt sexual desire. I don't recommend that. And later on, and you'd be shocked, this happens all through culture. Through history, he has himself medically castrated to deal with his sexual desires. Because there was no space in his theology for a God who would embrace sex, passion, and desire. You flash forward to the Puritans and those dresses. And, you know, I was raised to think that, you know, you dress up like the pilgrims, you know, around Thanksgiving when you're in elementary school and everything. But these dresses and this traditional garb was, we can't let men near women and we have to cover up everything that they are because this isn't something that, this is the whole world and our community will fall off the tracks if there's sexual desire. The Puritans even put long table skirts on the tables that would cover the legs because they didn't want the table legs to awaken sexual desire in young men. You have to have space in your theology for God who celebrates sex. I heard a pastor recently, recently come to this love poem and, and there's this spot in the love poem where the man is, you know, it describes he's laying her left breast and right breast and he's laying in between them and this pastor got up and he was so uncomfortable about the text and the whole thing and, and he goes, well, you know, he turned it into an allegory, like this big false picture with false meanings. He goes, well, the left breast must be the Old Testament and the right breast must be the New Testament and the head is Christ because he's the head of the church and that's the cross of Christ and it gets weird so fast. I'm like, bro, I'm pretty sure he just found a good place to lay. 
now, why does that matter today? What do we do with this? There has to be space for a God who celebrates and embraces sexuality and passion. Because if not, you don't talk about sex in the home. And when you don't talk about sex in the home, you have a young man educating himself online without the guidance of a loving faith community. When it's never celebrated and embraced, you get a young bride, 22 years old, with a husband putting pressure on her, saying, no, trust me, all guys are into this. We need to be doing this. She feels embarrassed and not sure about him. But she has no one to turn to because she's told that you don't turn to people and talk about this sort of thing. You get a husband and a wife with children out of the home who have just packed it up and hung it up sexually, and they don't really participate in that kind of life anymore. And so he has this porn addiction on the low and she kind of knows it's there, but she turns a blind eye and both of them grow apart with distance and shame and guilt and separation. And it is important that we begin with the fact that sex is celebrated and embraced by God. Next one. In your notes, you can fill in the blanks if you want. Sex was created by God and is understood best in light of his divine design. What am I saying there? I mean, if you have problems with your iPhone, you look to Apple. If you have problems with your pressure cooker, you look to Instapot. If you want to learn how sex was made and designed and worked and flourishes, you look to God. And I want to come back to what I was saying earlier, because the church and culture are kind of saying it's all the same thing, but you dive into the scriptures and you see it's so much more than what we've been told. It's right here in these verses. Uh, Chapter 2, Genesis 2, 24, 25. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The Bible uses, and this is written in Hebrew, this interesting term here that is rich and full of meaning. If you were looking at it in the original scriptures, it looked like this, basar akad. And it'd be read this direction because they read backwards and everything. But you know what that means? It means the two of these people in the most deep and rich way possible become fused together. One of the writers I like, I grabbed a quote from his book. He just says it like this. The word one is a cod in Hebrew, set alongside the word flesh. It essentially means fused together at the deepest levels. A cod is when the lines blur between man and woman. A cod is when you're wrapped up so close with another human being that you're not really sure who is who anymore. A cod is when you are, when, <clears throat> sorry, a cod is when you know and are known. Later in the Genesis story, we read, Adam knew his wife and she became pregnant. To know is a Hebrew idiom for sex, and it's fitting. When you make love to another person, you know them at the deepest levels. Something powerful happens in sex. Two humans become a cod. They know each other, and this action cannot be undone. It's irreversible. And the Bible paints this whole other picture that is so much more than physical. I, I could show you this diagram. There'd be like physical you, body, brain, organs, tissue, and that's a part of you, but like you're not just skin and bone and flesh and tissue. There's all kinds of stuff that make you, you inside of you. You have desires, ambitions, passions, longings, emotions, thoughts, soul, a sense of humor, all kinds of other things. The Bible would explain sexuality. Go to the next one for me. 
is the sacred overlap of your body and spirit. Sex is a sacred act that blends the deepest parts of you with another person. And we know this. This is why everyone remembers their first. When, where, who, all of it. This is why sexual abuse is so closely connected to emotional issues. This is why rape is universally understood as a horrific and damaging sin against humanity. Because it's not just a body. Now, there's so much more to be said. That's why we're going to spend six weeks. But I just want to go, oh, wait, let's pause. And let's talk about what we should do with all of this in day-to-day life. Let's get practical for a minute. Number one is this. Sex needs to be talked about more in the home and church. It just does. Sex needs to be talked about more in the home and church. Sex is talked about just two chapters into the Bible. Sex is the first commandment God ever gives to humanity. Sex is mentioned in the later pages of the Old Testament, in the life of Christ, and in the writings and letters that would make up the rest of the New Testament. But sex is barely ever talked about in the Christian home or church. And we got to change that. For all the other reasons I said, and, and I, and I want to talk specifically about home, and, and I know this is so messy and so complicated, but I just want to give you a framework, okay? Now this is, I'm about to do those slides that people always pull out their phones for, and, and I want to just give you some general guidelines for the ages and the conversations that should be having, being had at different ages. But in the home, this is a framework, and of course this is something that you could do. Ages one, for, one through four is affirming masculinity or femininity. You got three through five, baby growth and body and birth process. You got ages, ages five through eight, God made boys' bodies and girls' bodies different. And hey, we're going to make all of this available later in the week, so don't worry. I'm just going to go for time's sake. Go to the next one. <clears throat> ages eight through 12, what does God actually say about sex in the Bible? Why is it the best to have, save sex for marriage? Go to the next one. 12 through 16, sex, pregnancy, birth, saving sex for marriage, worldviews and sex, masturbation, sexual addiction, gender identity, same-sex attraction. These are conversations that should be taking place in the home. Go to the next one. And let me just park it on this for a minute. No matter what you try, no matter what your approach is, you decide that as a parent. That is your conversation to have. I want to provide resources. I want to guide you. Here's what I will bet the farm on as your pastor. The whole time you do these conversations, Keep the conversation open, loving, grace-centered, and for the love of God, never look shocked or surprised. One of the best parents I ever met and looked up to, I was like, how do you do that? I want my kid to be like yours. He goes, number one, we talk about everything, okay? Everything. He goes, and number two, no matter what they come and say, we go, oh, interesting. Mom... I'm pretty sure I identify as a dragon. Okay, interesting. Let's talk about that. Nothing. But there's a grace there, and it keeps the door open and the conversation flowing. What do we do with this? Uh, one, you got to talk about it more. Two, let me just say this. Handle sex and sexuality with care. With care. When you look at what the Bible says about sex, 
It's a lot like dynamite. It's powerful, explosive, fragile, and sensitive. And it should be handled with care. You have this act that you do with your body that is tied to the deepest parts of you as a human being. And you should handle it with care. My cousin, before he passed, I loved his baseball card collection. He showed me his Mickey Mantle cards. And I ended up with one. And he showed me, we looked it up in the book. You remember doing that and how much the cards were worth? And the amount of zeros knocked me over. And then he passes. And so it's valuable. It's sentimental. It's emotional. It's special. So I handle it with care. It's not something you just throw around. That's not the Mickey Mantle. (laughs) But now you're going to remember it. You handle it with care. In married life, when Britt and I counsel couples and they're like, this ain't working. You know what's bizarre is we, we bump into so many couples who set out to have sex and like we're in the bedroom and that is where the argument took place. Handle it with care. And I'm just telling you, when you're at your most vulnerable and sensitive and intimate, it is not the time to address the frustration from the thing before. You handle those conversations with care. Even if you're not in the moment and you want to talk about something related to sex and sexuality, remember when you talk to your spouse, you have, you have something so sensitive in their hands, you could embarrass them or hurt them so deeply with the smallest careless comment. In single life, you guys, handle this with care. It is not just your body. It is not just your body. Handle it with care. You know, it's interesting, you know, divorcees and people who are in a marriage relationship and they get back on on the market is so easy for you. And I just feel for you. I feel sensitive to who you are and what's going on in your lives. But it's so easy for somebody to go, you know, I kind of tried the like, let's wait till marriage thing already. I, I gave that my best and I got to find somebody. I don't want to be alone the rest of my life. So I'm just going to kind of flow with culture now. No matter what's happened to you, it doesn't change the transcendent truth that this is a deep, intimate, sensitive thing. And it's to be handled with care. Number three, in marriage, you may need to have sex most when you feel like it the least. If we're really being serious about these words and we're applying them and going to base our lives from, from these words and we go, okay, sex is this sensitive, intimate thing and very powerful when it comes to binding two lives together. How come it goes off the door first when things are rocking in the relationship? If this is true, if what I'm saying, if, if these words about sex from Scripture are true, you should have sex the most when you feel like it the least because it could sync up orbit again. If you're not vibing and you've had three arguments and things are just tense and sensitive and you're like, nope, I'm not doing it. It's like driving your car and the check oil light comes on because it needs oil. And you're like, no, I am not in the mood to change the oil in this car because it's been acting up. What? You need to change the oil. So it works. And sex, gosh, did I just compare sex to checking? Never mind. 
what? <laughs> edit. I gotta, that's why I stick to the note. Okay. But think about that. To become one flesh is to sink your soul with another individual. And I think Christ's followers should handle sex a little differently. It, it makes me so mad that the adultery statistics, who, who extramarital affairs, it's the exact same Jesus follower, not Jesus follower. The same percentage of people are having affairs in and out of the church. We have information that can lead us to new life and new reality in our relationships, beginning with the fact that if things aren't going well, that's the time to have sex. If you're just wore out and you're busy and, oh, you feel so overlooked, and then they just say that comment and it just, oh, that's the problem with you. That's it. Go upstairs. What? For what? Oh, you know what? We're going to get these demons out of you one way or another. Upstairs right now is happening. How different would your relationship be? But if sex is a divine tool to sink your soul with the one you love in marriage, it makes sense. And then let me, let me just say these words. Number four, there, you don't have to fill in number four. I just want your ear for number four. God can redeem your sex life and sexuality, no matter who you are, where you've been, and what has happened to you. Look at me really quick. I get this is sensitive. And in this room, there's those who have been hurt and offended and abused. In this room, there are those who have been walked out on. And you tried everything you could to make it work. In this room, there's mistakes and ones you wish you could have back. And all kinds of stories as well. And I want you to know, no matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, or what you feel on the inside, a momentum we believe wholeheartedly. There's a God who can put the pieces back together. And we believe wholeheartedly God is a God of redemption. And he can take your life and your story and everything you've been through, no matter how hard or damaging it feels, and he can put it back together. That's why we're here. I told you the story of my oldest daughter, Lucy, finally getting into Legos. Dad, can we get Legos? Absolutely. I have brushed the hair of so many Barbie dolls. Legos, you got it. And she built this tree house. And the whole process was just amazing. To see this little mind follow these instructions and create was just so pleasing to watch. And and to be with her and to do something fun together and to bond over it is just so amazing as a dad. And, and to see the pride she had. She just stood and she, hey, dad, do you see the pole? It goes, you know, the fire pole goes up and down. And you can reel up the I mean, she just adored this thing. And like four weeks ago, she comes home from school. She runs up to her room. And there is a shriek. I thought she had fallen on a knife. And then this can't breathe cry. I go sprinting up the stairs. 
She's looking down at her Lego creation, and our three-year-old son had just stomped it into a million pieces. I could have threw him out a window. Not my Lucy. Not, not, oh, not this. And some time went by. I said, don't worry, babe, we'll rebuild. And so she tries to rebuild it. And she can't. Oh, I kind of remember this was here. Nah. Kind of, nah. So it's just sitting for like a few weeks. And I have this little home office. She's home from school. I'm working. And she goes, Dad! Boom! Breaks in the door. Dad! I've got the book! I've got it! And she came running in. And she had found the instruction book that had been missing. And within a week, page by page, the pieces of her creation were put back together. My message as we begin this story or this series is we've got the book. We've got the words of life, and they can put your life back together. They can put your identity back together, your past mistakes back together, your marriage back together, and your life back together. They can. And the journey ahead of us is us coming before the book saying, God put us together. And I want to invite you on that journey over the next five weeks. Let's pray. God and Father, in our hearts and lives, do what only you can do. Lord, it says in your word, there is life and breath. And as we study these hard topics, and we want your life and breath breathed into us. Jesus in us and through us, do what only you can do. This time is yours. We're listening. Amen. Amen. You guys, we're just about done. Let me remind you of a few things. Um, these connection cards are just incredible. Every single week on the back, we have people telling us, man, you guys prayed. My life was changed. I found the job I'd been looking for. I restored a relationship that was broken. And I'm just telling you, we just are honored to get to pray for you. So I'd love for you to drop these off on your way. If you're new or visiting, you can take it out of the table outside. We got a gift for you. Um, these are so you can invite people to the Sunday that we're going to be having in just a little while. And finally, you have those cards. And if there's any topic you want us to address, any questions you want us to weigh in on during this series, just go ahead and drop that off in the box out at the back. It's this one. And there's a picture on the box that matches it. All that being said, we love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Peace.